And if you have your Bible, uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find this verse printed for you on the scripture sheet in the bulletin. Uh, We're continuing today the series on uh, the, the Hall of Faith, some people call it. We've been calling it the Family photo album of God's people because it it gives the highlights of some of the great believers uh, in the Old Testament period. And today we're going to be reading, as you've already heard in our Old Testament reading, about Joseph, uh, who sets a, a wonderful example of faith when it comes to how he approached his death. All right, so listen to what uh, Hebrews says there in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. This is the word of the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it, when you stop and think about it. We, we read earlier the story of Joseph from the, from the Old Testament, and here you get the summary of it from Hebrews. It's amazing how Joseph faced, faces death. And this has been a theme uh, over and over again throughout this whole family photo album. In fact, if you've noticed, the past three in a row of all the people we've looked at, uh, Isaac, and then last week Tim uh, talked us through Jacob, and this week Joseph, each of them have their deathbed experience highlighted. Did you notice that? It was what they did when it came time for them to die that really defined their faith. Uh, We've been saying it over and over that faith is not so much defined by how it begins, how it sets out. A lot of people start seemingly strong when it comes to faith, but they fizzle out very quickly or before the end. Uh, What matters is how you finish. And so the deathbed is over and over again in the story of God's people, the place where you could see their faith shine out most brightly. Same thing here with Joseph. Uh, he, he faces death in a way that's so opposite the way you and I do. I think everybody would agree. Uh, the great uh, movie director, Willie Allen, or not Willie, Woody Allen, uh, Woody Allen, sorry, sorry, Woody, if you're listening, uh, said famously, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Right? That, that's Woody Allen's uh, way of looking at death. And I think that, that kind of expresses the way I think about it, the way most of us think about it. Uh, we approach death with this mixture of fear, uncertainty, doubt, uh, dread. Uh, sometimes we, you know, especially if you're young, you may not even think you'll ever die. It's not even something on your radar at all. It doesn't ever even come into your mind. And yet, look at these great people of faith like Joseph. He knew, it says in Hebrews, he knew he was about to die. He knew the end was near. And instead of running away in fear, instead of saying, hey, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there, he went into it with a joy uncommon to man. It says he blessed his brothers, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's a miracle in itself. He blessed his brothers. He spoke concerning uh, the future that God had promised And he gave instructions concerning his bones that were also based on the promises of God. How in the world can we face our death like Joseph faced his? How can we face death, by the way, like Jesus faced his? Because this is Palm Sunday after all, and if you want to talk about how to prepare to die, think about Jesus 
riding in uh, to the sound of children singing, you can imagine a smile on Jesus' face as he rode in Jerusalem knowing he was going to die. He knew how to face death. How do we prepare to die? I know this is not the most uplifting topic this morning, but that's okay. Uh, I think it's important, and I think it's good for us to kind of lean into it and not shy away from it uh, because everybody, 10 out of 10 people, come up to the deathbed at some point in their life. As I look at your uh, bulletin today, I want to talk you through three things that Joseph did to prepare to die. And these are three things that every one of us have to do if we're going to be prepared for our death day, our, our deathbed. Uh, the first thing he did is he forgave wrongs. Joseph let go of grudges. Uh, did you notice how Hebrews said it? Uh, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. Uh, obviously, he was, he's referring back to the story that Kevin read to us. And if you look back in that story, it's printed there for you in uh, Genesis chapter 50. Uh, you'll remember that Joseph's brothers approached him after their father died with a lot of fear. Uh, they kind of got together and had a family meeting, a powwow, and said, hey, uh, we, we need to figure this thing out because Joseph is probably going to seek revenge on us. And that, that made a whole lot of sense, didn't it? I mean, if you know the story of Joseph, everybody would guess that Joseph, as soon as he got the opportunity, would have tried to spike his brothers. Because what, what had his brothers done? They, they had been jealous of him and they had sold him into slavery. Well, first of all, they tried to kill him. And it took one brother to step in and say, hey, let's don't kill the boy. I mean, let's at least spare his life. Let's just throw him into this giant pit, leave him for dead, and then when somebody passes by, we'll sell him into slavery. And they can pull him out. That's a cruel, cold-hearted thing to do, isn't it? I mean, that's sibling rivalry to the 10th power. And it makes perfect sense that when their father died, Joseph would have said, all right, my dad's gone. I'm going to spare him the pain of this, but now I'm going to get back. And I'm going to kill each and every one of them, or I'm going to at least make them pay. I'm going to make them hurt. And Joseph could have done it. Because what was Joseph in Egypt at this point? Second only to Pharaoh. Joseph had all the power in his hand. He had all the opportunity in the world to get back at his brothers. And what does Joseph do? He blesses them. You see, Joseph understood something that you and I have got to learn how to understand if we're going to prepare for our last day on this earth. He understood that revenge is not sweet. Even though the popular saying is, vengeance is sweet. Revenge is sweet. It's not always sweet. Uh, one of my favorite movies, it's a Western movie, illustrates this really well. Western movies are almost always about revenge, right? And the movie True Grit is about revenge. There's an old one with John Wayne, it's good, and then there's a new one with Jeff Bridges, it's also good. And this little girl, Maddie Ross, is seeking revenge on the man who killed her father years before. And she hires a hitman, Rooster is his name, John Wayne, Jeff Bridges, uh, to go and kill this guy. Well, long story short, and this is spoiler alert, but at the end, she gets the shot at the guy, and she, she pulls up the shotgun and she shoots him. But remember what happens, and I think this is the point of the whole movie. The kick of the shotgun, she's a, she's a small, you know, teenage girl. The kick of the shotgun knocks her back into a deep pit, and she falls down to the bottom of the pit, and a rattlesnake bites her in the hand. 
That's one of the main points of the whole movie, right? The whole thing is about her seeking revenge, thinking that's going to heal her broken heart, thinking it's going to be sweet, and in the end she gets snake bit. I think that's a beautiful biblical message. (laughs) Jesus tells us, when somebody curses you, don't curse them back, bless them. When somebody steals something from you, Jesus says, I mean, catch this. This is amazing. It's actually kind of funny when you say it out loud because it sounds so crazy. When somebody steals something from you, Jesus says, give them some more. Even more funny. Jesus says, when somebody hits you on the right cheek, turn your left and let them hit that one too if they want to. And we read stuff like that and we think, wow, Jesus, you're crazy. Who would ever do that? Why would you ever do that? And I want to tell you the only way, I mean, Jesus is obviously speaking in a little bit of hyperbole in all those situations, right? But he means it literally. Never, ever take revenge. Always, when people wrong you, seek a way to make it right. Seek a way to bless. He means that. The only way to understand that is to understand what Joseph understood. Revenge is not sweet. Why? Because revenge comes down to you trying to put yourself in the place of God. That's the key thing that Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 50. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible when he says, Am I in the place of God? His brothers can't come and say, Well, please forgive us. Don't don't hurt us. And he says, What do you think I am? Do you think I'm God? Do you think I think I'm God? Vengeance belongs to him. For me to take God's job into my hands is not going to end well. And I want you to know this morning, for you to take God's job, any of his jobs, into your hands never, ever ends well. You're going to get snake bit in some pit somewhere if you try to take God's jobs into your hands. And so Joseph says, I'm not God. You may have meant, this is beautiful, you may have meant those things for evil purposes in my life, but I believe something else. God meant them for good. You see what Joseph believes? He believes that the only player in life is not the the people trying to hurt you or the people trying to bless you or even yourself. That's not the only players in life. Joseph understood that God was a player in his life. He was a participant in his life story. And that in every detail of his life, even the worst ones, even the ones that he could never explain or fathom, God was working there somehow to bless Somehow to make him better. Somehow to use him, in this case, to use him to save a lot of people. If, if Joseph had never gone to Egypt, the famine would have killed the whole family. The famine would have killed probably most of the nation of Egypt and most of the Middle East. But God, God had a purpose. God always has a purpose. That's why God's jobs are best left in God's hands. And if you want to be prepared to die like Joseph was prepared, or like Jesus, think about Jesus riding in on the donkey. That's exactly the same mentality Jesus had, right? Uh, Pilate is going to mean it for evil. Judas is going to mean it for evil. Uh, The disciples, when they abandon me in the garden, they're going to have evil thoughts in their hearts. Uh, Herod is going to mean it for evil. Those those soldiers who nail me to the cross are going to mean it for evil. But my father is going to mean it for good for the saving of many people, for the glory of his name in my life and for my resurrection ultimately on Easter Sunday. Jesus knew that. 
And that is what Hebrews means in the next chapter when it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The joy was, he knew who his father was. He knew what his father's job was, and he knew, how to, he knew as a human how to delineate between God's job and his job. And if you're going to die well, you've got to do that too. Are you holding any grudges this morning? I'm just going to ask you straight up. Are you holding a grudge? <laughs> if you're holding a grudge, I encourage you this morning, do what you got to do before the Lord while you're here to get it settled in your heart to let it go. Uh, some of y'all may need to go to somebody after this service and talk to them. That's a good thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. It takes a whole lot of courage to do it. Some of you need to go apologize, or some of you need to go accept an apology that has already been offered to you that you haven't, you haven't yet accepted. Don't you see? Holding grudges is poison. Not to the other person. It's poison to you. One famous writer said, kind of in a funny way, Holding a grudge is like drinking the poison and expecting the rat to die, <laughs> right? Drinking the poison and expecting the rat to die doesn't work that way. You'll get snake bit. Let it go long before you reach that final day. The second thing that Joseph does, not only does he let go of wrongs and forgive them, but he passes on his faith. Uh, Joseph passes on his faith to the next generation, and that's something that every one of us need to prepare for. Uh, none of us know when we're going to die. We don't know if we're going to make it to old age. Um, we don't know that. But whatever time we're at, we've got to think about how am I being positioned by God for influence to the next generation? And am I leaving the greatest legacy I could ever leave, which is a legacy of confidence in God's promises? Notice that's what Joseph did. Uh, Hebrews chapter 22 again says, or chapter 11, verse 22, says, When his end was near, Joseph spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. He spoke about something that he knew only in one way. He only knew about the exodus from Egypt by faith. I mean, did you know that the exodus from Egypt would take another estimation 400 years after Joseph died to actually happen? And yet Joseph speaks, doesn't he, so confidently to his brothers and their children about that event on, simply on the basis of the fact God told my great-grandfather Abraham and he told my grandfather Isaac and he told my father Jacob and he came and told me too. And therefore, here I am on my deathbed continuing to set the legacy of faith by reminding you to put your trust where it belongs in the word that God has spoken. Uh, Joseph gave the blessing to his brothers instead of the curse. You know, he didn't say, you don't deserve to be a part of this blessing because of how you treated me. He said, no, God is merciful. And not only that, but God has taught me to be merciful. I am going to actually look after your family. Since I have this position of power in Egypt, I'm going to use it to prepare our family for that day when God's going to bring us up from here and take us into a better land, a land that God had promised long before. Do you see that? Just think about how remarkable this is. That Joseph would stake his claim in this faith rather than just staking his claim in Egypt. Think about how hard that is. Joseph was not a poor man in Egypt at this point. He had had his rough days. 
He was not a powerless man, although he had had his imprisoned rough days. He was at the height of power. He had all the influence he needed. He had probably all the resources and the money he needed. It would have been absolutely understandable if Joseph had said in his mind, it would have been humanly understandable to say, you know, that stuff with Abraham, that was great and all, but man, I got, I got it pretty good. I'm going to just settle right here. Uh, brothers, you can have that if you want it, but man, I've got a nice thing going here. You know, Pharaoh likes me. I live in a palace. Uh, I'm married to royalty, right? I mean, Joseph could have said any and all of that. And yet Joseph lived by faith, which means he was willing to trade whatever temporary pleasures there might be for everlasting and eternal ones that God had promised. Right? And in order to be ready to die like Joseph was ready to die, you got to settle that score in your heart. And you got to take the critical step of recognizing that other people around you are watching you and copying you. Uh, a lot of us in here have been parents before, or we are currently parents with kids in the home. And we know that there are those scary moments where our kids copy us on things that we didn't want them to copy us on, right? <laughs> they say maybe certain words, and you're like, where did that come from? Or they do, you know, they do certain actions, and you're like, How did, why did you do that? And then you stop for a minute, and you think, oh, I know where you got that, right? You, you're copying dad. You're copying mom. Have you ever had those situations? I know we all have. Isn't it, isn't it scary? I mean, frankly, <laughs> isn't it scary to think how much influence God has placed in the hands of parents and grandparents, right? Not only that, aunts, uncles. Cousins, older cousins, older siblings, uh, adults in the church, uh, even if you don't have kids, if you're watching and you do not have kids, uh, there are kids in the church that look up to you. There are people in your neighborhood, there are people probably at work uh, who, who work under you that look up to you. They, they, they copy and imitate you. They might even be conscious of it because God has designed the world that way. None of us is an island unto ourselves. Every one of us is connected to other people. And what we do, we often want to think that we're such original individuals, right? We're, we're original. We've, we've carved our own path. But really, we're just copying the stuff we've seen, right? All of us have done that. We've picked up what, we've, what has been laid down before us. That's what makes it so important what you are laying down. And you got to think about that before it's too late, because in the end, if, if you have not, if you've gone through your whole life and you've never taken true stock of the influence you have, that's sad, right? Because you've, you've wasted a lot of opportunities. Or if you've gone through your whole life and you have taken stock of it, but all you've done is tried to leave a material legacy and not, just a, and not a spiritual one. Right? Often we think that way, right? My, my job as a parent or my job as a grandparent is to make sure my kids are financially taken care of or educationally taken care of or, you know, whatever. All, all physical, temporary things. Not bad things. Actually, it is your responsibility as a parent to do those things. Wonderful things. You should do them with all of your heart. However, if you only do those things, and you neglect to understand that whatever kind of faith you're living, and you're living some kind of faith, they're picking up and copying, you're going to get to the end of your life and have a lot of things to regret. But if right now, this day, 
no matter how far away your death is, no matter how close it is, if you'll think in your heart, okay, how can I, Lord, Lord, how can I leave a legacy of faith? How can I demonstrate before those that are watching me what it looks like to be confident in your promises in a world that lacks confidence? How can I do that? What can I do better? What are some things I need to stop doing today in order to leave that kind of legacy? What are some things I need to start doing today in order to leave that kind of legacy? Don't you think Joseph knew what he was doing when he got to this point? It wasn't that when he saw that the end was near, suddenly he kicked on faith legacy mode. It actually never happens that way. Um, you know, as a, all of us have, seen, have walked with people on their deathbed. We've all had that, that unfortunate, difficult experience. Uh, as a pastor, I've had that maybe more than, than most. And uh, it's never this way. What, whatever you have done in your life, you do times 10 on your deathbed. You don't all of a sudden get a bolt of lightning from heaven to become a different person and die well if you haven't lived well. And when I say lived well, I don't just mean outward behavior. I mean the heart. If your heart has not been, if your heart has not been softened and strengthened by God all your life long, you can't expect it to be soft and strong on your dying day. And so that's why today, the Bible says, today, this day, is the day of salvation. Today is the day to ask the Lord, invade my heart. Bring your purposes into my life. Help me to, to learn what my relationships of influence are. Help me not to be blind to that. And help me to use those things to work hard to pass on, not just material things, but spiritual things. To set an example for people in my life. I mean, you matter. It's kind of what I'm saying, too. You matter. What you do matters. It, it's not a... It's not small potatoes. What God has given you is very, very, very important. Each and every one of us have influence. And there's something that we can do in order to, like Joseph, bless the people that we leave behind. Not just with stuff, but with the goodness of God's covenant love and blessing. That's the second thing Joseph did. He let go of the wrongs, forgave them, and he passed on his faith. But lastly, I want you to see what he did. This is so good. He surveyed the promised land. He surveyed the promised land. Joseph uh, looked ahead to the future in the promised land, and he saw a place for him in it, a significant place for him in it. And you might stop and say, okay, that's weird. You said that it would only happen 400 years after he died. How could Joseph see a place for himself in the promised land when he was going to be 400 years dead by the time they got there? Notice what it says. Verse 22 again. By faith, when his end was near, Joseph gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Think back to what Kevin read to us. This is what Joseph did. He said, brothers, I bless you. God's going to surely bless you too. He's going to bring our family up from here. I don't know exactly when, but he's going to do it. It's just as sure as if it had already happened. But I want you to swear to me. I want you to swear to me. Make an oath that you will not leave my bones in Egypt, but that you will carry up my bones. Carry up my bones with you when you go and bury them in the land of promise. 
Why was Joseph so concerned about his bones? Why? I mean, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? No big deal. It's just a body. Wrong. Joseph understood something the Bible tells you from beginning to end. God has a plan to save not just people's souls, but to save their bodies and their souls in the resurrection and to save all of creation at the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the full wide lens, widescreen version of the gospel. God will carry up your bones if you're a Christian, right? And he'll place you with Jesus himself, who has already been raised before us, with him in a new heavens and a new earth. Your body matters. Your bones matter. Where you're laid to rest matters. Uh, how you go to that place of rest matters. And here, what Joseph is teaching us, what, what the Bible is teaching us, is before you get into the ground, you've got to think about the place to which you're going. You've got to think about heaven. You've got to have your mind often there. It's got to encourage your heart. For Joseph, he thought, man, the promised land, how great is it going to be? God said it was going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to be there. And I know I can't be there in a normal, natural, human way. I'm going to be dead before then. But carry my bones with you because somehow God is going to raise me up. And this is kind of giving away a little bit of my Easter sermon next week. But did you know that when Jesus was raised, this is a crazy thing. But we're going to talk about it next week. Some of the bodies buried in the promised land were also raised with Jesus, Matthew tells us. And they came and appeared. Can you imagine maybe it was Joseph? I don't know if it was. Don't go quote me and say it was for sure. But imagine if it was. Some of them appeared. They rose from their graves as a foretaste of what's going to happen to every single one of our bones one day when Jesus comes again. It's an amazing thing. Joseph looked ahead to the land of milk and honey and says, that's where I want to be. That's where my heart is. Carry my bones up. I wonder where your heart is, right? I wonder where your heart is. Uh, sometimes we think, hey, the people that think about heaven, they got their head in the clouds. They're not going to do anything good on the earth because they're too distracted about heavenly, intangible things. Au contraire. You cannot do any good on earth unless your heart is much in heaven. You can't do much good on earth unless your heart is much in heaven. It's the people who understand who understand what God has prepared for them in the by and by, so to speak, right? As the old songs used to tell us. What God has prepared in the by and by that understand how to live in the here and now. Uh, it's a little bit like traveling. My family this past week did some traveling for a vacation. Uh, and we drove a long way, at, right? And got stuck in traffic a lot. It was a very hard journey back <laughs> uh, with kids in the car, right? Um, you've been there. Can you imagine driving around not knowing where you were going? I thought about that as I was coming back. The only, I mean, that doesn't even make sense, does it? To just drive for hours and hours on end, not knowing where the end is, not knowing where you're actually going to. doesn't make any sense. No one would do that. You may take a Sunday joy ride, and you may kind of aimlessly ride around, but you know where you're going, you're going back home at the end, right? You have an idea. You don't just aimlessly wonder. No one would do it. And yet, how many people 
live their actual lives that way. Aimlessly going from one thing to the next, not sure at all where they're going. They don't know whether heaven or hell. They, have, they haven't settled that. They have no idea. And even if they have settled it, heaven, they don't think enough about heaven to know what it is they're going to, to get excited about it or to get prepared for it. It's as if it doesn't exist in many of our hearts, right? Because we don't call it to mind. We don't meditate on it. Jesus, uh, after he entered in on Palm Sunday, smiling, getting ready for his death, the night before he died, at the, when he was at the Last Supper, which we're about to celebrate here in a moment, he prayed a prayer in John chapter 17. And in that prayer, he showed you what the joy set before him was about. He said, Father, in a, in a moment, in just a few moments, you're about to glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was made. And so now, based on that, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, or I set myself apart to death. Jesus knew how to prepare to die. He looked at heaven. He got up like Moses did before he died. Climbed up on the mountaintop. It was Mount Pisgah was the name of the mountain. And he looked out over the Jordan River. And he saw the promised land one time before he died just to keep in his heart alive the hope of heaven. The hope of the new creation that God had promised to all his people. I want to tell you, you have got to climb that mountain often in your lives. I know many of us in this room, many of us in our church are really good at long-term planning. We're very organized people, a lot of us. We think about those things. How good are you at super long-term planning? Like eternal long-term planning. And I think there, maybe we're not as good. We're not as good. We think of our homes and our families, again, as, as mainly prep for life on this earth, but not as prep for heaven. But don't you know that's why you're at home? That's why you have a spouse. That's why you have... Uh, parents, that's why you have children, that's why you have cousins and aunts and uncles, that together you might prepare each other for heaven. That's actually what it, family is about. Church, same way. Uh, church is not just about having a fun, good time here only. Uh, church is about coming together uh, all the time, tasting heaven a little bit, like the hors d'oeuvres of heaven is what Sunday morning ought to be like. The hors d'oeuvres of heaven, tasting together what it might be like to be in the presence of our God. Same thing with work. Uh, sometimes we think work is just getting that paycheck, putting in the time, trying to get to retirement, trying to make it to the finish line, make it to the weekend. Yet the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the righteous deeds, the works of the saints, are going to one day clothe the saints in heaven. And it actually says that Jesus is going to one day bring in the treasures of the nations into the city of God in the new creation. What does that mean? It's kind of mysterious, but it at least means this. The work you're doing now is actually building something for heaven. I can't tell you exactly what that is or what that's going to look like. Only God knows. It, is not in, it has not been told to us, but it has been told that no thing done at your work for the glory of God will ever be wasted eternally. That somehow God is going to sanctify it and somehow work it into his new creation purposes. Isn't that amazing? you got to think about that. If you don't think about that, it's just going to be working for the weekend, living for the paycheck, 
not preparing for that day that's going to come to all of us. I know it's a sobering thought, but every one of us, like Joseph, are going to see the end is near. Sometimes we don't see it and it just hits us, and it's very unexpected. Sometimes we get the grace of having time to prepare. Either way, this morning, we got to work on forgiving wrongs. we got to work on passing our faith along. we got to work on surveying the promised land that God has given. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your word today and just for the blessings of our heavenly home, the promises that stretch out into eternity. God, I pray that we would have our minds on those promises, that we would think about the future in a way that honors you. God, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.